This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes, our podcast series that focuses on those little things that we can do in our university classrooms. The little things that can make a big difference. My name is Seb and as always I'm being joined by my friend and colleague, the never lackadaisical Al. <laughs> <laughs> Lackadaisical. I like it, Seb. Thank you very much. The series is motivated by our belief that what matters to the students is what happens in our classrooms. But in our universities, we talk about teaching in rather different terms. We talk about course design or teaching policy. Sometimes we talk about budgets, but we don't often get a chance to talk about those small examples of great practice that bring our classrooms to life. And that's essentially what caused us to form this podcast, namely to speak to excellent teachers, colleagues who do really fascinating things in their classroom, to get inspired and to help us, perhaps adopt it in our classrooms, or for anyone to get to adopt this in theirs. As always, we want to have these conversations in a jargon-free way. We can talk about these practices and we can talk about these transformations without using buzzwords. Flipped classrooms, research-led teaching, work-integrated learning, we hear them all the time, but they often get in the way of discussing teaching. So we have a buzzword-free zone, and when we hear buzzwords, we get to use what Seb calls the democratic buzzer. No! <laughs> which is a wonderful phrase in this context. In this season, we're also going a little bit further. We're going beyond our own faculty, beyond our own discipline, and sometimes we're going beyond our own university, but not today. Today we are staying on home turf, outside our faculty, but still at the University of Queensland. And the reason why Elle can say this is that we are welcoming here Jackie Bond, who is a lecturer in pharmacy here at UQ. And Jackie is here to talk to us about how she engages with the emotional aspect of learning. Jackie, welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be at the coffee and sandwich party, finally. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Let's talk about emotions. The emotions of learning are what I think really drives your passion for teaching and what you do in the classroom. So to kick this off, what do you mean in very general terms by the emotional aspect of learning? I've been teaching now in higher ed for about 20 years and I would say that this is kind of an awakening that I've only had maybe in the last five years or so. So I think when you're a really new teacher, you're so focused on content um, that there's this whole other stuff going on, on in your classroom that you don't necessarily see. So the thing about the emotional aspects of learning is that while my feeling about it is that it's huge, it's actually invisible. It's really private and if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. So what I mean by the emotional aspects of learning is, you know, we're really comfortable talking about cognition, which is also really invisible. But students are going to experience the full gamut of human emotions in your classroom and outside of your classroom. There'll be joy, frustration, overwhelm, disappointment, anger, anxiety, the whole lot. And I think when we're not paying attention and we don't actually know about those invisible processes, we really miss an enormous opportunity um, to make the learning process um, really, really holistic and a completely different experience in the classroom for both the teacher and the students. So are you encouraging students to reflect on their own emotions or are you 
bringing your own emotions out as part of the course? I think that's a really great question. And it was interesting in your introduction to hear you speak about you've gone kind of outside the discipline now. So I'm in pharmacy, so in the health sciences. And I think in some respects, being in that discipline really gives us an opening to actually really address kind of emotions because people that enter the health sciences, they do that because they care about people and they want to use their knowledge and their training to take care of people. So from the sort of the earliest stages of um, classes with me, what I say to students is if you're a pharmacist, what you're learning to be is a scientist, but with a heart. So you have full permission to feel the feels um, because at some point you're going to be taking care of people. And they can tell if you are not interested in them. If it's all about the facts, you miss that opportunity for human connection. So I think there's this open conversation about who we want to be as well from kind of the beginning. And that's what I love about it so much. It's really interesting because when I read lecture in pharmacy, I immediately started thinking of science and distance and objectivity. And then I read down and said, oh, emotions. So this is going to be interesting. How do they react to you saying, let's get emotional? Well, the interesting thing is, uh, so within the context of the pharmacy degree, like I tend to teach mostly the science courses. So I teach medicinal chemistry, which is a universally hated course because it's outrageously difficult. And if it's taught really badly, students think it's got it's not relevant to clinical practice. So I'm starting from behind the eight ball. And then you have this crazy science nerdy lady turn up and tell you to feel the feels. What the hell? <laughs> The way that I kind of broach that is, you know, I start the conversation by saying, tell me why you chose pharmacy. And the two answers are always going to be because I love chemistry and it's fantastic because now I know you're on my side um, and we can just nerd it out to the max. But the second thing is people didn't choose to do a chemistry degree, right? They don't want that objectivity. They've always got a personal story about, you know, something difficult health-wise happened in their family or with a friend or they've been in hospital themselves or they've had serious illnesses and they kind of they get it and they want to use their life to take care of people mm. in a previous recording the first of this season we had a guest talking about poignancy and the mm. way it could open up a classroom it sounds a similar type of thing opening up students to 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 learn a little bit differently and i think too again going back to that sort of notion of having permission to talk about these things um you know in pharmacy we're, we're often talking about really uncomfortable topics anyway so you know when bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to you know there's often giggling around uh all of the anatomical words and language to describe all kinds of bodily fluids processes we don't need to go into that now but you know also a lot of topics that are kind of socially taboo around uh, people's lifestyles and choices and as a health professional, you've got to start to learn to be really comfortable uh, um, having those conversations. And that's an evolution for our students. You know, you don't start off on day one feeling comfortable asking someone about their sex life. And to be fair, like that's something that actually as a pharmacist, if someone came into your pharmacy and was asking for the morning after pill, there are really probing questions that you need to ask. So we've got to kind of build that confidence in students to have what are some 
sometimes really challenging conversations and there is always an emotional aspect to that. Um, and I think a good place to start is to just be really explicit with students about the emotional journey that they're going on with their learning, not to shy away from it. Because what I've also learned and understood over the years is that there's a lot of isolation that comes with those feelings when they are uh, seen to be uh, somewhat aberrant. So for example, like many courses um, at universities, you know, they're very difficult courses to get into. So if you think about the cohort of students entering your program, they're people that have had a lot of academic success um, leading up to uh, getting here. Um, they're used to being at the top of their class and now they're going and having a very different experience of being a novice again and that is outrageously uncomfortable and oftentimes they weren't expecting it and because people don't talk about it they feel like they're the only one having that particular experience and it is so isolating and so I just think let's get everything out on the table let's talk about those things really openly and then there's a real shared experience around the discomfort and I think just at that precise point, right, they're coming here, they're now novices, as you say, and they're now, in a way, in the same group as other high performers. And I think you tackle them right away, right? You give them a task in that very first I lecture do. that is designed for them to fail. It's a bit cruel, isn't it, Seb? And it does sound a little bit cruel, but I think what's really good is I, I do that very deliberately just to give me an opening to talk about these things. So um, it's important to state from the outset in case anyone's panicking about the terror that might be taking place in my classroom. Um, no humans were harmed in these experiments. <laughs> it's really important to have failure be really private as well until there's a trusting relationship built up. So we've got you know a variety of apps and software that we can use. Um, I probably don't need to mention the particular ones we use here at UQ but there's lots of polling activities where people can vote for things anonymously so I'll design um, a really complicated medicinal chemistry question to ask in the first lecture because as I said before everyone's coming in they've uh, they've performed incredibly well in chemistry in high school they think that they know everything and I give them a really evil question where everyone will get it wrong and there's audible gasps in the classroom but the great thing about the audible gasp is that you suddenly realize I'm not the only person that did didn't get this right and I can put the results up on the screen so we can actually now quantify and see that really everybody's in the same boat the other part of that equation um, the reason I also do it is it, it does create some really instant kind of engagement it's really easy to kind of nod off in lectures and you know maybe be taking a really passive approach to sitting in the classroom the second that you get something wrong it's like there's this you know emergency siren going off in your brain oh my god I really need to pay attention but that the opening that I kind of it would be really lovely to get an opportunity to talk to you guys about is um, I've got this sort of uh, philosophy that I learnt about at a teaching conference many years ago, I think I've kind of mentioned it to you Seb, um, that involves the quadrants. It's you know it's super nerdy because I, I do love a good graph. So, so if you draw two lines, so if you have one axis and that axis represents challenge um, so you can have high challenge or low challenge and that's really around the level of difficulty of the content and then the other axis sort of forming the cross would be support so you can have low support and high support and so I'm really explicit with my students sort of from that 
first class that there are four ways that we could operate here at uni. I can give you low challenge and I'll state from the outset I am never going to do that because the reality is you've worked incredibly hard to be here. You are very smart and I need, I want you to reach your potential and so the only way that that's going to happen is if I push you and ride you and challenge you beyond where you think that you can go. So you need to know that that's who I am as a teacher and let's be really clear about that. Now the other axis though is if I put you in the high challenge quadrant that was really low support, that's Machiavellian and when, <laughs> when, that's right, when, we're not here to kind of lose you all, right? So you will get everything that you need to, to succeed but it also sets up this kind of I guess dialogue which says that there's two of us in this relationship. My job is to push you really hard but I will also give you all the assistance you need to succeed but your role in this is you've got to pay me back because I'm going to work my butt off and I want that back from you and the reason that I'm going to push you so hard is think about where you got to by the end of high school. The joy of mastery that you experienced, it is magical. The journey to get there is not, right? So you you know, there's there's roadblocks, there's potholes, there's tears, there's sadness, but there's joy and we're going to go on this journey together and you will have a companion and a guide that will help you get there and I want, I want the best for you so that's how things are going to be set up for the next four years. Whoa, sign me up. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but you clearly know the student body. You, you've mm. spoken already about the psychology of these students that you're are sitting in your lecture room. You know how to push the buttons and get them to think because you know that body of students don't you? For sure and I would say this is where I think that really that discipline specific almost intel is incredibly important it's the number one thing you have to know who your students are um, and, and so I think that's why even though I've been teaching for 20 years I probably you know I wasn't able to do that as a, a younger teacher I hadn't kind of learned those things yet you know there's a lot of literature around uh, various personality types in each of the health professions but there's nothing kind of like living it and breathing it so the things I know about my students is um, they are massive introverts um, so getting them to fail publicly would be an absolute disaster so there's things that you guys do with great ease and comfort in the humanities around those very sort of like public debates that we would never be able to pull off with our students but what I can always tap into with them is that they are a bit nerdy but we own it and we're loud and proud about it um, you know we can make chemistry jokes this is the only place that I'm funny <laughs> but you know it, it's, this is what's kind of you know every discipline has its sort of um, you know its nuances and its and its uniqueness and it's what you it's what you fall in love with and and I think also the students feel so deeply seen when you can mirror that back it's like I say to them all the time I am with my people there is this kind of love fest that's going on. <laughs> and that allows you to be vulnerable yourself, mm. and that's part of it, isn't it? You're vulnerable in front of the students. How do you go about doing that? Teaching is this incredibly relational, deeply interpersonal venture, and if you're not prepared for that exchange, then don't be there. I very much view it as I have a social contract with my students. You know, I'm asking a lot of them to grow and evolve and develop into this kind of identity of being a caretaker. How can I ask them to do that if I'm not willing to do that as well? Um, and so 
I need to be able to show that I care. I need to be able to not just say it. I need to walk that talk. So, you know, there's a million different ways that I think you can build that trusting relationship. And some of, actually a really big part of that, I think, is around being vulnerable and um, just showing up and being who you are and not obviously be professional um, and there's a certain amount of editing that needs to take place in order to be professional but I think going back to that notion too of the emotionality you know to be a full human being you don't get to kind of only experience the good stuff there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with that so just as an example um, I experiment a lot in the classroom I think it's a lot of fun and I think the students get a lot out of the element of surprise and and having new things happen but they don't always work so you know I'll come into the classroom often and be really nervous that something I'm about to try is going to be a fail and not just a fail but a very public fail so I will often start by saying okay I'm going to experiment on you today and I'm really really nervous like please be kind to me Um, I'll get you to vote at the end and you can thumbs up or thumbs down and it's totally fine if you thumbs down and I promise I won't do it again but just be gentle you know because I was up all night thinking about this kind of interesting new thing to try and you and you know the thing that's so amazing and it comes back to that notion of the social contract I just feel it so strongly that my students are are so grateful for anything that you try to do to make their lives a bit more interesting or a little bit more easy they're so gracious like even when you do crash and burn they're really kind about it my experience very strongly confirms that experimenting can be nerve-wracking for you as a teacher but what is essential when you're experimenting is to tell your students that you're experimenting and they're part of an experiment because that partially gets them excited but it also makes them more open to give honest feedback afterwards than if you hadn't said that. So I think setting the context, setting the tone here is extremely important. But what Jackie's saying again reminds me of James at first um, um, show of the season, the new season, when he was talking about not putting yourself on a pedestal all the time and having that equality with your students, letting them see that you're human, that you're not at the top of a hierarchy, that you're not at a distance, that you're not some, you know, uh, university lecturer away up in the clouds and they're down on the ground. It's a similar type of relationship. You know, going back to that idea of we speak about a lot of taboo topics in the health sciences. Um, I teach a very large section of the program that's around mental health um, and it's it's actually about the design of drugs for mental health so it's still very much chemistry but it's in the context of mental health. So I teach about um, depression and antidepressants and one of the things that I do choose to disclose to my students is that I actually take some of those drugs. Mm. I really thought about that a lot before I chose to share that with them but I thought it would be in some ways very disingenuous to say you've got to turn up and be authentic um, without sharing something that I have personal experience of and what's really interesting about that is it does shatter a lot of the stigmas because then I can have conversations with the students where they feel very safe and I I often do this and say all right I know you have a lot of ideas about people with depression right so maybe you're 18 or you're 19 Um, you've got ideas and you're not really sure if they're accurate and um, but you desperately love to talk to someone but you know you can't ask those questions I want you to ask them in class and it is okay to ask me now because it's about me and my private life there are things that I may choose not to share because I've you know there's good boundaries but I want you to feel that you can ask those things and I think that that comes as such a surprise to them and what 
part of my rationale for disclosing that is if you have the notion that um, someone with depression can't have a successful life it's kind of shattered in that instant because they would have no concept of that happening if I hadn't disclosed that. And it gives them an example of the profound impact that being a healthcare professional can have on someone's life because, you know, one day, many, you know, many years ago, I walked into someone's pharmacy and got my pills d- dispensed for the first time and I was so scared and nervous about that interaction and how people would respond to me and whether they would work and my life transformed. And I think it's a really vivid personal example of the role that they may play in someone else's life in the future. And of course it connects you. Being honest and fallible when Mm. you don't expect it gives you the connection. And I think as a result of that too, what often happens is, you know, a lot of students then feel that permission to kind of share um, things about their their friends or their family or their lives. And it, it, it takes away a lot of the stigma around talking about things and it builds that ease Mm. that they need to develop to be able to talk about these sorts of topics Mm. really openly. Mm. We started off with let's talk about emotions and we've ended (laughs) going deeper and deeper Mm. um, talking about vulnerabilities that can relate as a teacher to not being the smartest person in the room in your basic assumptions to like talking openly about emotional issues that you might be facing and challenged with including what your students might be facing and I think it gives us some really good insights into how as teachers we need to be more tuned into those aspects as well which of course in the sciences we're very easily dismissive Mm -hmm. of emotions right it's all about cognitive Mm -hmm. emotions are not to be there but they're so central to our lives but also to how and why students learn well so if this is something that you found triggers your interests triggers your emotions then please Post your responses, ask your questions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have them all. I just love the phrase, feeling the feels. I'm going to be stealing that myself. (laughs) Wonderful (laughs) phrase. Thanks everyone for joining us in Higher Ed Heroes and we look forward to your company again. 